This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Turn your house into a home as unique as you. With IKEA, every dollar means more quality, more sustainability, and ultimately, more inspiration. It's affordable personalization to make your home feel more you on a friendly budget. Everyone should be able to create their dream home, and it shouldn't always require a big investment or hiring a professional. IKEA is your partner for new furnishings, decor, and more. Affordable design, endless possibilities. Explore more at ikea-usa.com. Hello and welcome. It's another Books of the Year podcast from Matt Williams and Simon Mayer. Oh, yeah. I know you like it. No, I do, yes. Now that you're appealing to my ego, which is absolutely the way to do things. So this is Books of the Year. It's an occasional podcast. It comes out when we've got exciting people yeah. to talk to. And today we have very exciting people to talk to. Quite right. Uh, Dermot O'Leary and Chris Riddell. They'll be with us uh, very, very shortly. And uh, brought, all brought to you in association with our friends at WH Smith. They, they remain our friends as long as they are putting the stickers onto the books. And woe betide them if I go into one of those stores, as I will be doing when we leave this particular right. recording. <laughs> if they have not got our stickers on their books, I should be making a point rather vigorously we to should the actually, manager. We should have a roll of stickers yes. ourselves and yes. then just go in and stick what them What an books. idea that would be. We could get a Saturday job at, at WSM. Yes. <laughs> Why don't we do that? Why don't we... Yes, this is sort of getting around the problem of uh, infiltrating the system from within. There I you would go. like to get a job at the till Yes. saying, can I give you a £10 bar of chocolate with that? <laughs> <laughs> As you come through with your newspaper purchase. Would you like a bottle of Vitel? And also, would you like this book with this sticker on? That's what I'd like to do. Yeah. We are definitely getting a job at WA yeah, Smith. Correct. If they'd like to offer it. Uh, so, standing by for our big interviews, Moira, Moira Penman, um, says in Berwick-upon-Tweed, they've got the stickers. They've got the stickers in Berwick. Good for them. So we don't need to get jobs there. No, we no, need to go no, somewhere else. No, no, Spread ourselves around. Uh, Jenny B uh, says uh, she listened via Spotify yeah, we're on, on Spotify, Friday. Yes, yeah. uh, while she was cooking the dinner. Love hearing the rapport between Matt and Simon, which is uh, now sadly lagging elsewhere. Uh, have all the episodes to catch up on. Can't wait. <laughs> St Gregory Primary. That's a school, I'm guessing. Well, I don't think it's a guy called St. Gregory. St. Gregory. <laughs> I don't think that's going <laughs> to happen. We'd love to invite Dermot to visit our lovely school. Why don't we get Dermot in at this point, given that it's specifically addressed to him? Well, that would be, yes. I He's mean, just standing next door absolutely. shooting the breeze, smoking I mean, a gulwaz. As, and, and it would be really uh, unfortunate if he was to turn down this uh, very... Uh, pleasant. Oh, it looks like they can't open the door. <laughs> open the doors uh, at the Dermot. studio. TV's Dermot, they're unable to open the door. Never mind. In in, in years to come, whatever happens <laughs> to Dermot O'Leary, the answer, he's bricked into a studio in London. That's what's happening. So he's out of one door. We can see him going through the door. Here he comes. Here he is. His yes. Yes. school visits. <laughs> TV's Dermot O'Leary. Hey, Dermot, how are you hey, doing? How are you? And we're bringing coffee, and that looks like a side order of hot milk. 
my God. Another review. I never really worry what. I never really know what to order when they say hot milk or cold milk. I have no. No, I just eat the milk. It usually depends on what you fancy. Oh, Chris Riddell is here as well. Makes no odds. Hello, Chris. We're recording already, by the way, but sit down. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? Nice to meet you. I've walked in with another brand of coffee in my hand. I think that's just wrong. This is live production. I'm contractually obliged to say, yes, I'd love a proper one. Okay. <laughs> That's not proper. Yeah, come into the... Well, here we are in the recording of Books of You, which has taken a shambolic turn. This is very gonzo. I'm liking this new turn that we've taken with the podcast. As the guests like arrive... Simon, you're saying shambolic the minute I walk in. <laughs> yes. I think you're right, but I don't like it. Shambolic way before right, you go. Ian from Bloomsbury. Nice to meet you. Hi there. Right. Nice, to part, nice to have you as part of the show. As you're getting the PRs now as part of the show. <laughs> Where's my PR? You don't, need, you don't need one. <laughs> no, I just I feel like we should be sharing the love. Anyway, uh, so Chris Riddell has joined us. Hello, Chris. By the way, hello. And now uh, Dermot O'Leary has joined us. Hello. Uh, as you probably as you probably heard. So the reason for inviting you in was because this thing from St Gregory Primary. Where, where can I ask the first question? Where is St Gregory Primary? They don't say. Oh, they no. don't say. That's fine. Really let, that means that lets you gets you off the hook. <laughs> We'd love to invite Dermot to visit our lovely school near his hometown of Culture. Oh, there they are. Okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. To tell us about his books. Incredible. If all of our pupils buy The Guardian and The Economist from W.H. Smith <laughs> and give Harris razors as Christmas presents, could you act as our fixer, please? Okay, so if everybody buys The Guardian and The Economist, <laughs> they get from W.H. Smith, they get the sticker, they get Harris razors, they shave themselves, they're looking immaculate, then maybe... Dermot will consider it. But obviously this just has to go through the usual channels. There's no commitment yeah, or anything at all. The Guardian and The Economist. Yeah, yeah, we get sponsored by both of them. They're, um, I'm an alumni of both those institutions, yes. I started The Economist many years ago um, as a political cartoonist um, and then got recruited by The Observer, which then got swallowed up by The Guardian. Yeah. So, uh, Does that yeah. mean you were poached? I was poached. You know, sort of delightfully. Um, my then editor at the... I was at The Independent. My editor then left to uh, supposedly join The Observer, but then decided to become um, the editor of Granter magazine. So I was sort of without an editor. And uh, The Observer came along and said, would you like to join us? And I said, well, yes, because I don't have an editor. What era did you start um, political t- cartooning, as it were, in? So A was very it, was interesting it... one, don't it? Um, 1988... So, so that's just t- before... towards the tail end of Thatcher. Tail end of Thatcher. So second election. Yep. So eighty seven. She just won the third term. And in eighty eight, eighty nine, she took the sort of long walk, didn't she? Sort of um, my favourite clip on YouTube. If ever I'm feeling slightly depressed, is I just sort of click on Thatcher leaving Downing Street. That look out of the window with the tear in her eye. We're going to be enjoying that with Teresa quite soon. Do you think? <laughs> what you're listening to is Dermot O'Leary taking over. Sorry. And you've taken my pen. <laughs> I'm taking over your station. Uh, anyway. Uh, also, Dr. Julia Howe, this is after our Ben McIntyre programme where we were talking about Oleg Gordievsky. What an amazing... Have you, seen, have you read the Ben McIntyre? No, but he's look? an incredible writer. It's a, it's a really SAS amazing book. heroes. Um, books, brilliant. Uh, thanks for re- uh, thanks for featuring uh, Ben's book. I've just finished listening to the audiobook. It's as gripping as any fictional spy story. I loved it. Thank you, Dr. Julia Howe. Uh, anyway, as you've as you've noticed, we have our guests in already because uh, they because they, they shuffled in early. Uh, Toto the Ninja Cat and the Incredible Cheese Heist uh, is new from Dermot O'Leary, illustrated by Nick East, and J.K. Rowling's The Tale of Beetle the Bard has been illustrated by Chris. Chris has a thousand books out this autumn. A bit of a mistake, I'm afraid, Simon. I, I, I slightly 
exceeded my proportions. Um, they're all different, is, is all I can say in my defence. There's a um, poetry anthology. Um, there is a little sort of inspirational book called Art Matters that I did with Neil Gaiman. Um, there is a uh, another poetry anthology, again, with a very good friend of mine, so these, these things come along in groups. Um, and my first picture book in 10 years. Um, and I realised, actually, you know, the, the, the joys of doing a picture book is uh, meeting your audience. Mm. So at Cheltenham, I had a lovely event with Potter fans for Tales of Beadle Abad, followed by an event for my picture book, which was a mother and toddler's group. Um, small children going off like car alarms. It was delightful. Um, <laughs> the backdrop to working in children's books, Dermot. I'm sure you've uh, encountered yeah. this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's uh, get the vocal skills of Matt Williams to describe both books. So it, it feels like a fairly... It's slightly uneven in terms of book size because um, uh, The Beetle the Bard is a kind of a, a large tome and, and Dermot's is a smaller uh, Paperback. So let's start with with Dermot's Toto. Yes. So Toto is dominated, obviously, by Toto swinging on a big hunk of cheese that's uh, tethered to something off screen, and Toto is swinging over the Thames. And obviously, in the background, we've got Tower Bridge and St Paul's uh, silhouetted against a night sky, and then Toto in green with a little bit of uh, gold dusting around it. Uh, Toto the Ninja Cat and the incredible cheese heist. Dermot O'Leary at the bottom. Okay, and. Um... Now, use those skills for... Oh, my goodness. Beetle the Bar. Yes, I mean, this is what, what a front cover this is. Effectively, we've got, a, well, by my count, I'm going to say at least four of the stories uh, that feature within uh, Tales of Beetle the Bard are sort of brought together in the, in the front cover. And so you've got um, three uh, explorers um, from, I think that's the Fountain... Of um, Fair Fortune. There you go. Uh, we've got one of the characters on the left with a... A, uh, a wand. We've got the three brothers on the right, uh, dressed in blue, and, and and a couple of the other characters as well. But just just a sumptuous cover, uh, bordered in, in in flowers and and leaves. It says gift book is what it says. <laughs> mm. um, Chris, where does where does this fit in the Harry Potter universe? It fits actually rather nicely and elegantly because it's um, the uh, story, the, the stories are told to the children of wizards. So within the Harry Potter universe, with, within the novels, every wizarding child will know the tales of Beedle the Bard. Um, and uh, so in a way, Beedle is the Hans Christian Hansen of the, of the wizarding world. Um, and it was such a pleasure to be invited into this extraordinary imagination, J.K. Rowling's imagination, and to meet some familiar characters, but also to sort of explore the iconography of the world. You know, everything from sort of one design to, uh, um, you know, the, the, the sort of different ways you can sort of use magic in magical duels to um, hawk lumps, which you should never fondle. So, but I'm, I don't know why I'm looking at you when I say that. But, <laughs> I'm a uh, hawk lump fondler. <laughs> what, what, what is a hawk? What happens if you fondle a hawk lump? Well, it, apparently you have to resign from the Ministry of, of, of Magic. Um, it, it, it's, uh, uh, I think, borderline indecent, um, <laughs> I think. Uh, they're, they're small mushroomy creatures with bristles. Um, they're like walking emojis. Um, and one of the great pleasures of this book was that I was able to illustrate the footnotes to the tales um, in which J.K.'s you know, humour um, really comes through. Uh, there's some lovely, lovely sort of funny bits. I mean, you know, fondling hawk lumps being my highlight. Um, I also love Beatrix Bloxham. 
the uh, rather sort of uh, sedate um, uh, lady novelist who who finds everything in Beadle Labard really, really appalling and disgusting, and so writes her own expurgated version. You know, which uh, which the kids hate. Uh, yeah, conveniently, I got to illustrate that as well. So, so two books in one. So, so the and and these tales of Beadle Labard they feel very familiar because they are like they are the fairy tales. This, um, that, that we know and that we recognise. But the extra spin, which I love in here, is that Professor Dumbledore writes notes. He writes his own commentary and analysis of this story. So we really feel as though we're in some kind of academic tome. We do. And then and then J.K. herself writes little footnotes yeah. to Dumbledore's notes. So you have this... this, this Tiered, you know, series of layers to to the the stories. Um, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, people who who know the Harry Potter books, and there are many. Um, I just walked past um, platform nine and three quarters. Quite frankly, Chris Grayling's got to sort out that transport problem. <laughs> you know, the queues to get to Hogwarts are appalling. Um, but the... do you, you think uh, of the many things that Chris Grayling will be tackling? <laughs> I'm not sure, or not tackling. I think that's on not very breaking high news. Level. I don't think he's got a magic wand. <laughs> Is that right? Yep, that's the trouble. Okay, so yeah, because we are recording just around the corner from platform uh, nine and three quarters. Um, uh, just before Matt speaks, I just want to show Dermot this, in case you haven't seen it. There is, in the amazing illustrations here, I don't want you to have uh, any envy, just because your book hasn't got one of these lovely little cloth no. pieces of paper. But there is a particular double-page illustration, oh, yes. which, I'm, which, I, which is hidden. Uh, where have you put it, Matt? It's, uh, it's part of Fountain, so it'll be very early on. So this opens up, so it's like four. It's four pages. Chris, can you explain what like Dermot's looking at? Vanity Fair spread. Yeah, it is. I, it, you know, it's that moment, uh, Dermot, when you walk into a bookshop and you're browsing and you pick up a book. And I thought about this. You know, having the gatefold as a moment where you sort of, you know, maybe knock over something accidentally as you open the gatefold up. It's, it's essentially a, um, I suppose, four illustrations in one. Um, and it's the Fountain of Fair Fortune with the uh, where the three. Um, adventurers, the the the, the witches um, gain access to the gardens. They voyage all the way up to the fountain uh, where they want to uh, bathe competitively to mm -hmm. see uh, if, whether their their wishes will come true. I think it's one of the most elegant of the fairy tales um, in terms of its construction. It's got a lovely ending. Um, but I've got to say, Dermot, as well, um, your Toto book is beautifully illustrated as well. It's so, incredible, is, isn't it? The nicest guy and. Which I, I know sounds sort of a, a bit, it sounds ridiculous really in that he's the nicest guy, but it, but it's, it makes such a difference that I can pick up the phone to him while I'm writing it and say, well, I've got this. Like I was walking past Blackfriars Bridge last year and there's a scene in the book that he's illustrated beautifully to the point where I turned around to him and said, <laughs> some of these incidental characters I now want to write. Oh, I like Like, that. you know, yeah. the illustrator, he's create. There was one guy, he's this little cat who looks like a cutthroat just sort of turning to another one over a, um, a glass of sour milk. And I said to him, I want to write a book about this guy now. <laughs> I mean, he's just painted this beautiful picture. And I was walking next to, uh, opposite um, on the south of the Thames. And I saw Blackfriars Bridge and I thought, uh, and I thought that's where I want um, my cat pub to be set. Underneath. A cat pub. So I the like idea that. is that the cats you know, <clears throat> and the dogs and all the animals of London and, uh, and the world you know, have, have parallel lives. And, um, and in the book, Toto and Silver have to go to this cat pub to, to, to meet an informant. Every piece of cheese in the UK has gone missing. Okay, and it's nothing um, to do with Brexit. I it's, it's, it's a parable. <laughs> okay, and uh, and 
on the way they so they 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 go to this pub and I and I was and I was uh, I, I sort of wanted I wanted I had Fagan's kind of gin palace kind of in my head, and I sent two pictures to Nick opposite on the south bank of the uh, of, of the Thames or by the Oxo Tower, almost opposite Blackfriars Bridge. And what he came back with was exactly what I wanted. And, and oh, it's that lovely, that lovely yeah. relationship that you can get with him. I mean, Dermot, how prescriptive um, are you? And I need to say that in, in terms of, you know, do you um, describe uh, the context or do you allow Nick to sort of imagine? A little bit of both because mm. he will always surprise me and he... He's got such a knack and a gift, and I think we've just we've got that synergy, and we we found it early on. They 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 had a, a couple of people I really wanted me to meet because the, the part of my brain that that was enables me to draw stopped maturing when I was about four years old. So if you asked me to draw you a car now, it would pretty much be the same car I drew when I was four. And so they asked me to. So I was never going to illustrate it myself. So they asked me to meet um, a few illustrators, and then one got a very good gig who I, who I never got around to meeting and this will Nick I'm, I'm, I'm sorry because <laughs> I was off at JK Rowling what can I, what can I say <laughs> and so I met Nick and actually Nick came down we had lunch around my house and I introduced him to our cats and it was just we just got we just got each other straight away I'm, I'm interested in that sort of relationship that both of you have you with with the with the writer and mm. you with an illustrator of how how closely you are in contact when you're writing how closely you're in contact with the illustrator and is, is it already a completed work by the time I'm you get very it? interested in Dermot actually uh, introducing Nick to his cats I mean I, I love that yeah. concept I, I was once uh, introduced to Roy Hattersley's dog Buster when I was invited to illustrate uh, uh, the dog's diaries Buster <laughs> diaries and I walked into Roy's uh, sitting room and, and Roy went off to make a cup of coffee and Buster started copulating with my leg <laughs> Lovely. Um, while I attempted to sketch him it was quite an interesting... I thought, hmm, right, this is what an interesting What kind of dog was situation. Buster? Because I've got Buster, Bulldog in my head. Ah, uh, no, Buster was um, a staffy oh, um, yeah. with, with a bit of mixed other stuff Marvelous. in him and um, enthusiastic, yeah. I would say. Um, I don't think that made it into Buster's diaries, actually. Um, <laughs> so so are the book, the, the, the stories are already written by the time they, they, they land on your desk, Chris, or uh, is there any sort of collaboration between you and J.K. Rowling when you're... Um, uh, obviously, the odd owl will 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 turn up, um, you know, with with a missive. Um, but actually, I've dealt principally with with the people around J.K. who um, who organised this this extraordinary sort of Potter world, uh, be it film or or, or the, the the writing. Um, and it's it was a very surprisingly straightforward process. Um, and the, the the spread that you mentioned, uh, Simon, the 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 fold out spread had to go on one particular. Um, page in the book because of um, you know cost concerns and, and and you know the binding of the book so there was it had to go on page thirty eight and thirty nine you know that was the fold out and I said but I want to illustrate the Fountain of Fair Fortune and they said I'm well, sorry it's just got to go on this spread so you know if it falls on one of the other tails you'll just have to illustrate the other you know another tail so the hopping pot would have had to hop a very long way across that spread and I think part of the magic of, of the process of doing this book was that when I came to design it and lay it out to 160 pages um, it just so happened that page 38 39 was exactly where the fountain of fair fortune really? was was meant to go and I thought hang on a minute sometimes so you get definitely. like goosebumps yeah, don't you lovely. you might have had this don't when you sort of saw Nick's illustrations you might have just thought yep Absolutely. something's happening well, the, here. The, the, like I said the pub scene in particular yeah he's just a well, I think the fact he does his own stuff much like yourself, is really important. So he 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 sort of exists in his own world, his own illustrative 
children's books. Um, we've just got a very good relationship. And the thing is, the publisher, you know, Hodder Hachette have just said, said to me, send him the whole thing at the end. And and I, I, I used to be a bit too prescriptive, I think. I used to mark up, oh, I'd love an illustration here, an illustration there. And I've become... As the process has gone on, I've become for, well, it's only my second book. It, I've become more relaxed trust, about it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you go, yeah. okay, I, I think Nick can handle this. You know, uh, yeah. uh, over to you. Yeah. yeah. Going through all the spells and all the magical worlds uh, again uh, with this book, Chris, it struck me that uh, this might not make a lot of sense, <laughs> but it seemed to me that there was something very secular and rationalist about her world of magic. So that even though she's talking about spells and amazing things that happen at the heart of it it feels as though it's actually quite a rationalist thing so for example at the in that the fountain of fair fortune there's a kind of a wizard of oz moment at the end where there's just a reference to the fact that actually the fountain's got no healing properties at all uh-huh, yes. and uh, you know and, and the magic has happened somewhere else do you mm. think there's any truth in that I think there is. I, I think that's one of the great uh, uh, beauties and possibly the, the key to the success, not that I've got, uh, you know, the, the access to those keys. But um, I think it is this notion that we can all imagine going to Hogwarts. We can imagine sort of encountering that world because it's a world not without its own problems, like the real world. Um, and, you know, real peril, real you know, sort of um, uh, issues, and as you say, a sort of rationalist approach. Um, so there are very particular, you know, decisions to be made as to what wand you might uh, you might select um, as a wizard. Um, there are also, I suppose, it begins with with kids and their imagination. It begins with the which house do you yeah. you know belong to? Everyone has a house, and that's been a, a joy to discover. One of my favourite illustrations was drawing the awkward parent teacher association at Hogwarts <laughs> um, meeting and being very. very very sort of censorious about Beadle Abad being stocked in library. You know, they don't, they don't like this at all. And that was great fun, drawing these sort of, you know, awkward uh, parents. I, I tell you what I do. I mean, Chris, you've spoken there about the sort of the, the, the rationalist side to what comes across in, in Beadle Abad. Dermot, in your book, I'm, I'm struck by the theme of um, acceptance. Yeah. Uh, having, having read that um, uh, uh, last night. And I, 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 my, my guess was, as I was reading this, this is something that you're consciously wanting to, think, to get across. I think the first book that I wrote, um, which was the Toto Ninja Cat and the Great Snake Escape, probably, it was kind of written about the time of the referendum and my parents had just moved back to Ireland and um, and I, I, so I, and it was, I wanted to write um, a love letter to London and I wanted to write, uh, I think all the, all the best kids books that I remember reading when I was a kid weren't necessarily, I thought adults could get them as much as kids and there was, a, there was kind of implied humour there and also they are, I mean, all, you know, like Simpsons to me is probably the best TV show of the last 30 years. And every single Simpsons episode finishes up with the same, really the same um, messages of, you know, families are dysfunctional, but you all love each other. And that's kind of, I, I guess, uh, sort of my inspiration for this. So the, so Toto and, uh, Toto and Silver of uh, two Italian orphans. Um, there are actual cats and they came we've rescued them from Italy and we realised and Toto was blind from birth and we realised quite early doors she had incredible uh, reactions. She she's breaks in light. My wife will say she's 100% blind. I still 
hold out five percent of hope. And well, um, she's the, the cats are fraud. <laughs> just pretending <laughs> that all cats are frauds. Um, Simon, I think you've hit on a very important truth there, <laughs> and, and and what I enjoy actually, Dermot, about uh, about Toto. Um, I've not met a cat that I could understand. Yeah. You know, they know something. Oh, They're not yeah. going to tell us. You know, there's an inscrutable cat that visits my studio at the bottom of my garden, and quite literally comes into the studio as if um, as if it owns it, and sits on the mat. You know, I mean, how cliched is that? Um, <laughs> but it knows something, and I think I think this lovely sense of the the world that, that Toto you know inhabits yeah. um, is in an inter- is an interesting and exciting one. Yeah, thank you. Um, and you know, hats off to you to, to have discovered this. Uh, well, I, I just, I really enjoyed the process as well. I mean, I think that's the, um, so, for, you know, for, for, as soon as I started, I sort of had, you know, because I know who I am and what I do for a living gets me through the door, but publishers aren't idiots. They're not going to commission me to do something unless they, they're confident the, the story has an arc. And so I went away, did a chapter plan, took me a sort of couple of weeks, a month. And, but then as soon as I started writing it, I was really, you know, it, it went really well. I mean, I've, you know, I hate to, um, blow smoke, but you're a big reason for that. I remember you sat me down, we had a cup of coffee, and Simon, and you, you gave me a lot of advice. And your and your main advice was, you've just got to do it. You've just Dermot, could, could, just... could you not blow smoke? Honestly, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, the, the sound, so you can see Simon sort of swelling with pride. <laughs> oh, I'm swelling with smoke. <laughs> and uh, uh, what I love about the book as well, um, Dermot, it is. It's it's something that very close to my heart, which is a book with lots and lots of pictures, and I love that um, alchemy. When <clears throat> talking of alchemy, it's a beetle bar, but um, the alchemy of words and pictures, how that actually works with the readers. Mm. And so your book, I mean, you mentioned the cover. I mean, the cover is very beautiful. It's got that sparkle to it. You begin with that that promise. You're going to enjoy this, and you open the book. You start to read it. And there are pictures and, you know, there's a dynamic as you turn the pages. And I think children will pick up your book and they'll enjoy it. You know, shock, horror, sats test, you know, uh, government ministers wanting to raise that, all that. Guess what? If children find books that they find pleasurable to read... They're going to read. Oh, 100%, yeah. My goodness. And, you know, this This is why we, we produce the books it's we funny do. funny you mentioned the illustration. When Nick came around the first time I met him, I just obs- he, he left the street and I observed, I observed him and he walked out into the street and he just started sketching our street because the one of the second scenes is when they, they meet their new friend Catface, who's essentially a, he's a rat with species identity issues, which is tapping to the acceptance thing, who lives his life as a cat. So he's decided that he wants to, live, wants to be a cat. Everyone thinks he's a cat. And he's very happy living his life as a cat. But it's also rat royalty. <clears throat> so he's Ale- Alexander Ratanoff, the 333rd. Family came here during the plague. Uh, he's one of the five rat royalty families. As long London. as we don't have to pay for the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> They're very self-sufficient. <laughs> and, um, and he's taken them down to the tube. And I saw Nick sketch outside my house. Um, which got some strange looks for the neighbours. But, but I saw Nick sketch the street and I just, it was that moment. There's this great story when uh, Broccoli and the Salzman, they, they meet Sean Connery in uh, Berkeley Square and they're not 100% sure about him. And then he leaves the office and he, he walks from the south side or whatever to the north side of Berkeley Square. And by the time he's crossed the square, they turn to each other and went, that's our guy. Mm. Because of because, because of, of his, the way he walks, because of the just walk. walks with his. And that's this morning. I thought maybe his, assassinated him. <laughs> you know. uh, we'll uh, we'll be do some more with Chris Riddell and Dermot O'Leary in just a second. Turn your house into a home as unique as you. 
With IKEA, every dollar means more quality, more sustainability, and ultimately, more inspiration. It's affordable personalization to make your home feel more you on a friendly budget. Everyone should be able to create their dream home, and it shouldn't always require a big investment or hiring a professional. IKEA is your partner for new furnishings, decor, and more. Affordable design, endless possibilities. Explore more at ikea-usa.com. Welcome back. This is Books of the Year. Chris Riddell has uh, the tale of Beadle the Bard, and he's about to do some readings from that. And Dermot O'Leary has got Toto the Ninja Cat and the Incredible Cheese Heist. Just one more thought on that gatefold thing you were talking about. When I was looking at it, my wife said, that reminds me of those Yes album covers, that kind of Roger Dean. (laughs) Now, I I, I take that as a compliment. I hope you take it as a compliment. But in terms of that, (laughs) there is that something about the term gatefold, which listeners of a certain age would go, that was the joy of buying an album. And if it was a double album and then you open it up and then it had a Mm. lyric sheet in it, that's... That's what you've done in, in this book. I High praise. Mm, thank you. And, and so. uh, Roger is a fellow sort of resident of Brighton. So, um, oh, OK. So that's a good thing. Absolutely. That's a good thing. OK. So, um, Dermot, do us, um, do us some cat stuff. OK. So this is chapter three of Toto the Ninja Cat and the Incredible Cheese Heist. And Toto, in a kind of Treasure Island way, has just been handed um, a black paw, which has uh, been uh, delivered to her by Robert the Parakeet, who is kind of um, all the parakeets. And pigeons are kind of the messengers of London, so they they will deliver the mail and so forth. And she's never had a letter before, so this um, the bit of parchment has turned up with a black paw on it, and just says Larry, number ten. She realises this is actually her first proper mission, being a ninja cat. The Ten Downing Street um, cat is actually her boss, so she has to get to Ten Downing Street to hear about her first mission. To do that, she takes the animal tube. So her and Silver are now heading down towards the animal tube. Silver is her brother who kind of acts as a as a, a kind of guide dog, really. And he fancies himself as a ninja, but he hasn't been through the same training as Toto. I cannot believe that Larry is your, well, our boss, said Silver excitedly as the cats headed down the leafy crescent where they lived towards the animal tube that would take them into central London. He's so cool. Do you think he likes me, he added. I mean, when we met him before, I think he sort of thought I was a ninja too, right? I mean, it's understandable. And all the moves, oh, sis, do you think he'll ask us to hang out more? Imagine that, pizza around Larry's, it'll be the best. Sis, sis. Toto wasn't listening to her brother, fanboying about Larry. She was in a world of her own, thinking about what lay ahead. Her first proper mission. Yeah, she tackled an enormous lake, two tigers, an army of rats. But this, this was different. This time, someone else will be relying on her. This was the role she'd been trained for. She'd be expected to carry out her duties and not let her order down. She didn't want to admit it, even to Silver, but she was more than a little nervous. You know, I do think he thought uh, that I was a ninja when we first met. I distinctly remember he looked impressed with my tail. Silver was still banging on about Larry as they rounded the crescent and came to a street that separated the cats from the tube station. It looked very different from the last time they were there, which had been in the middle of the night. Then the street had been deserted. Now it was very busy. Taxis and red buses, bikes, scooters, lots and lots of humans. Flustered tourists, shoppers laden with bags, Rastafarians, buskers, school kids, market traders, spiky-haired punks, all oblivious to the cats under their feet. I have to be honest, shouted Silver over the noise of the busy traffic. I don't think we've given this enough thought. Any ideas how we get to the other side? But Toto was already in ninja mode. She was, of course, almost totally blind, but using her other senses, Sylvia could see she was forming a plan. Toto standing completely still and focused. 
seemed to be counting the seconds between each passing vehicle. She took a deep breath and turned to her brother. Climb on board. Sylvan knew what to do. Although getting a piggyback from his sister made him feel a little bit silly. Okay, sis, don't do anything without letting me know, he was saying. Gatefold picture. (laughs) (laughs) Camden High Street, just about to somersault over a bus. Uh, As he climbed on. But Toto had already sensed the opportunity. With a running leap, she bounced off a nearby punk's pink spiky hair, who looked very confused and alarmed, adding a cheeky somersault for the fun of it. She landed effortlessly on the other end of the road, giving a knowing smile to her brother. Tell me next time you're about to leap over a bus, please. That was terrifying. Brilliant, but terrifying. Very good. That was very good. That's Dermot reading from Toto the Ninja Cat. And I'm going to get... And the incredible cheese heist. I'm now going to get from Dermot's book to Chris's book with one anecdote. Oh, go on. Show his anecdote? Yes. Wow. I think I've told Dermot this before. I don't really like cats. This is partly because I'm allergic to them, so I Mm. avoid cats at all times in all places. However, inspired by the first Harry Potter book, I do genuinely say, hello, Professor McGonagall, because in the first Harry Potter book, Professor McGonagall is a cat. Mm. And you have to say... So... I don't know, it's like a... It's, I'm not superstitious at all. It just makes me laugh. So I, when I see a cat, I say prof- hello to Professor McGonagall. Does that Sam, make me slightly you, unusual? Like could that. you get maybe a hairless cat that you could call Professor McGonagall? That, that could work. <laughs> no, I'm maybe not, deal with the allergies. No, well. I just really don't like cats very okay. much. Okay. With, with apologies. <laughs> Sorry, don't looking, take it personally, Dermot. Don't yeah. look I've broken wind <laughs> or something. Uh, but I, do, I enjoy your books. I enjoy the company of your oh, books. Great, look. Yeah, he's just showing me an illustration of a of, of a, a, cat. Of so a very vicious cat. What well, you mean, like that's going to convince me that I like it? And there is, and at the back, a very nice picture of Dermot sitting in his armchair with a big old cartoon cat. There's Toto, and then as the books go on, we're going to add more. So that's Silver. The first book just had Toto, so then we're going to add Cat Face, nice. maybe. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, now. Uh, Chris, I wasn't going to ask you uh, to read, but you think that actually you've got a little passage there which will work quite well. Well, it's it's the footnotes, Simon, um, written by Professor Dumbledore, okay. uh, and I think they they you know provide some illumination, I think, to 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 the tales. Illuminators. Um, now, um, the uh, Wizard in the Hopping Pot, which is the first uh, tale, is all about a wizard and a, a rather sort of disgusting hopping pot that comes out of with in warts and 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 weeps like a child and 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 and, and spews forth uh, cheese and slugs disgusting. and you you name it. Um, Professor Dumbledore writes, The final objection to the wizard and the hopping pot remains alive in certain quarters today. It was summed up best, perhaps, by Beatrix Bloxham, 1794-1910, to the author of the infamous Toadstool Tales. Mrs Bloxham believed that the tales of Beadle the Bard were damaging to children because of what she called their unhealthy preoccupation with the most horrid subjects, such as death, disease, bloodshed, wicked magic, unwholesome characters, and bodily effusions and eruptions of the most disgusting kind. Mrs Bloxham took a variety of old stories, including several of Beadle's, and rewrote them according to her ideals, which she expressed as filling the pure minds of our little angels with healthy, happy thoughts, keeping their sweet slumber free of wicked dreams and protecting the precious flower of their innocence. The final paragraph of Mrs Bloxham's pure and precious reworking of The Wizard and the Hopping Pot reads, Then the little golden pot danced with delight. Hoppity, hoppity, hop. 
on its tiny rosy toes. Wee Willinkins had cured all the dollies of their poorly tum-tums, and the little pot was so happy that it filled up with sweeties for Wee Willikins and the dollies. But don't forget to brush your teethy pegs, cried the pot. And Wee Willikins kissed and huggled the hoppity pot and promised always to help the dollies and never to be an old grumpy wumpkins again. Mrs Bloxham's tale has met with the same response from generations of wizarding children. Uncontrollable retching, followed by an immediate demand to have the book taken from them and mashed into pulp. That's, I, I love that it's, because the humour comes across. And there is, while Simon was was reading your book and seeing that gatefold edition and being reminded of of yes, there was something that came to my mind as I was reading this, and I mentioned this to my wife as I was reading it last night, and. She thinks this is a little bit off the wall, but I'm going to say that I'm going to take a chance anyway. I'm intrigued. As I was looking at those illustrations, there was one illustration that leapt to my mind, and that is Eddie, who is the mascot for Iron Maiden. And those that don't know, he's basically this. This is the guy who dominates all the Iron Maiden album covers, and he's a sort of he's on the stage part of the stage set and those kind of things. And my instinct was. He has had no, there's been no input from him. There's been no inspiration from him. But I just wondered what what, uh, aspects of sort of popular culture you will draw on when you're putting together illustrations for this, illustrations for your political cartoons, all all that kind of stuff. I think absolutely anything is is the answer to that. You know, um, you one one gets inspiration all, all over the place. I for tales of Beadle Bart. I mean, I particularly looked at some of the great turn-of-the-century illustrators like Arthur Rackham and Edmund de Lac and, and a particular favourite of mine, Kay Nielsen. Um, uh, so I wanted that fairy tale classic look. But then with the footnotes, I mean, that was an invitation to, and I don't have much hair, but the hair I had, I let down, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and just sort of really went went to town with uh, on that. And I think um, I just wanted to sort of develop maybe a visual iconography. Um, and it's interesting, actually, Dermot, how you talked about um, Nick's response to to your text and how he was bringing new things in and as uh, a sort of inspiration. I was given permission to to sort of bring in visual sort of um, elements, um, carved ones. I enjoyed the difference of carvings. I think each one is very different. It should be customised. It's not just a piece of wood. It, 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 this is special. And so uh, almost like the Japanese have this um, uh, tradition of, of, of carving, um, little sort of soapstones and, and little sort of uh, figures like that, um, I think every... I think every wand is carved in a very particular way that reflects the owner. Um, And I think, you know, yes, there are lots of different um, influences. I've got to say, maybe not um, at the forefront of my mind, Roger Dean, or, or in fact, Eddie. But, but if they're in there, well, who knows? Subliminal. It's It's subliminal. I'm surfing the zeitgeist. Uh, And Dermot Briss, briefly and uh, finally, my guess is, as you said, the TV and the radio pays the bills, but this... Uh, story writing and these cats increasingly fill your mind space and you're wondering what you can you know that's what you spend your time thinking about and not the next tv show no my wife's birthday is is looming so that's largely now (laughs) like (laughs) foremost in my cortex Dermot who do you read the stories to it's do you have a reader do you have someone you test Uh, the stories on my wife excellent and then I have a 10 year old niece who very um, useful yeah she kind of takes out for a canter as well. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to Dermot O'Leary, thanks to Chris Riddell, thanks to Matt Williams. Thanks obviously. to me, yeah. Uh, next week, Heather Morris talks about the tattooist of Auschwitz. <laughs>